You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. Welcome to 2020. Another episode with the legendary drummer, David Abraziz from Pearl Jam. Yeah, this is a good one. It's it's so good, except for the <laughs> fact that both of your internet connections could <laughs> blow me. Yeah, this is this is still in the early days. We we're figuring stuff out. David's in some like lair somewhere in the world. So, and uh, I you can't I even Amazon shit to that guy, right? Like, what, but if what you, you check you out the do? YouTube video of this, you might get to see a little peek of where he's living. So yeah, for true. Yeah, there's some behind the scenes there. Behind here's the, scene. the thing, lair. but we got to be very very concise when we say this. David Abraziz was totally ruined as far as taking the chance to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And when I say ruined, I mean they screwed him terribly. And we, and by we, I mean you, me, and all of us listening, and then everyone that you know and everyone that they know should go and rally for David because if there's anybody that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like with this whole controversy going on, it is our friend David Abraziz, as you'll listen, as he tells you the stories behind Pearl Jam, behind what happened with Guns N' Roses, like... Siobhan, you you blew his mind on this one. He blew my mind, and what a down-to-earth guy. I mean, I think everybody really has to tune into this episode. I don't know if, don't know if down-to-earth is... Uh, well, no, he's, maybe, he's out in maybe space. Floating, fla- floating <laughs> above dude, I want to be but... wherever David is, dude. If you, like, if you see what... First off, he's in a completely different time zone. Like That guy like lives outside of space and time. Like that, David's just floating true. in his own like little spacesuit outside of everybody else. And like yeah. that, and we're just waving at him. Well, this yeah, is a fun and, but episode. This, yeah. it was, and this it, it'll have stuff that you won't hear anywhere else. So I mean, we really got to crack into a lot of the stories that he had and experiences, and you know. what it's like to be in arguably one of the biggest bands on the planet. So check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and welcome to another episode <laughs> of 2020, where we may be socially distant, but we're certainly socially relevant. I wanted to, first <laughs> off, introduce you to my lovely cohort in crime, uh, Corey Peza, hey. the um, the other side of Shabrock, the, sh- the SIO and the Shabrock. It's Siobhan Cronin, <laughs> and on the dais is the legendary man on the skins. He's played with two of the most incredible bands and many other bands beyond that that you've never heard of. Uh-huh. David Abrazis from <laughs> Pearl Jam, Guns N' Roses. But he's larger than life because he's fucking awesome because where he is, because you don't know what time it is here, but it's like, what, like five o'clock in the morning or some shit, dude? No. <laughs> <laughs> undisclosed time and undisclosed location. Well, let's look, let's recap a little bit so so that people know. First off, this is part uh, part two of uh, of uh, uh, with David, 
Um, if you don't know who <laughs> David is, he played with Pearl Jam during the absolutely quintessential uh, era of Pearl Jam. Well, he did the 10 tour. He was on Versus. He was on Vitology. He, the, the Pearl Jam that matters in my heart. And then he was in Guns N' Roses, um, you know, for a, a lot of the Chinese democracy. He's played with Actually, all kinds. We never played a show, so I don't ever feel like I was really like in. So you're so you're kind so you kind of just like moonlit around. Yeah, I checked out Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure they didn't check you out? So it was like was it like a Tinder date with Guns with Axl Rose, but for like a long period of time? Uh, yeah, I passed. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, the firsthand knowledge is is fascinating. So. So well, listen, I'm going to jump right into something that I am terribly curious about because it, it bothers me. We've talked about it on previous shows. I want to say first off that I'm on your team because I love you um, as a person, but also as a drummer, as a fan of Pearl Jam. So um, I've always thought the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like, yes, it's cool. It's like an interesting thing to watch in high definition. And there's been some amazing moments where you watch Prince and Tom Petty together and, you know, you've gotten to see Black Sabbath and like, there's some cool shit, but there's so many bands that are smited and there's so much bullshit, like drama that goes on that like, you know, like Guns N' Roses was it like Van Halen. It's just uh, like fucking been terrible. But for the first time, they didn't allow you to be inducted with, with Pearl Jam when you were on, first off, two of the three biggest Pearl Jam albums. And you did the tours, the videos, the unplugged, the all the shit that fucking matters to me as a fan at my ripe old age of 37. Um, and they smited you. They fucking smited you. And it made me I, hate I was any better. You it made smoked. me hate him. Because here's the thing is, because it's like Lee Kerslake. Do you know the story with Lee Kerslake, the, the drummer yeah. from Blizzard of Oz? So he had to die! On his dying deathbed, David, he begged Ozzy Osbourne, listen, I know that you cut me out of being on these records. You even had Mike fucking Borden, Puffy, of Fish No More, re-record my parts because you're a douchebag. But you want to know what? I'm dying Could you send me a fucking record. Not any money. Just send me a record that says, you know what, Lee Kerslake? You were in Blizzard of Oz. You played with Randy Rhodes. You were at Ozzy's fucking height. I just let me die with the fucking platinum record. And they took <laughs> yeah. it away from you, man. They took it away from you. Like Ozzy took away all those jet publishing recordings. Like Don Arden took it away from him. Why? Terrible. <laughs> How's that for a question? <laughs> that, that was a heavy intro, Ben. Maybe oh. we could have lightened into it a little bit. I feel like, but that's how I feel. I get so angry for you, like vicariously mm -hmm. angry. Because like the Lee Kerslake thing makes me upset. And then oh, here's yeah. the thing is, yeah. the, the Pearl Jam thing, it's so close to this. And I mean, Dave, thank God you're not dying. Like that I know I, of. <laughs> but like, I just, you know, that to me, just the, you know, it's like I, I said at the time, it's um, that band has never shied away from taking a stand to do what's right. And I, that, 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 that was, you know, that's kind of surprised me. But at the same time, I mean, again, I don't think that era of the band really represents what that band was intended to be. 
know what I mean? You mean good? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was, you know. Because for me, for me, like, state of loving trust, um, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, listen, I love 10. I'm not going to say that because you're on it or not on it. I love 10. I love verses. I love Vitology. When all the, like, no code and binaural and stuff came out, I was like, this is fucking stupid. Like, I wasn't into it. Like, no code came with a bunch of fucking ugly photos in it. And I was like, this is kind of horse shit. Um, and I didn't like it. I really didn't like it as a, as a staunch Pearl Jam advocate. So, like, mm -hmm. I was not part of that movement. But then, like, years later, I saw them, and I was like, oh, they're a really great live band. But, like, you go back and you watch these performances of them in 93. Um, you know what I mean? And you're like, like you are, if, they, if Guns N' Roses, for example, had Izzy Stradlin, you know what I mean, playing with the, you are, you are the original, you are the classic as far as I'm concerned, because Dave Cruzen never played live with the band, to my knowledge. Right. Am I right? A uh, couple of like, you know, impromptu. Yeah, but he didn't do anything that mattered. Like you get the yeah. unplug. You did all the fucking shit for well, ten. I I joined the band before the ten record came out. You know, I was before I was in the anything band when, before they mattered, dude. Well, we I remember Jeff Amon telling us that we if we didn't sell twenty one thousand records, we weren't going to get to make a second one. You know, we, we didn't even sign a record deal till the third album. That's how. Wow much we worked no one else worked for us that's come yeah. on did, did, can we all drink that in on 2020 here um before we talk about, <laughs> before we talk about our sponsor lostsymphony.com lostsymphony.com chapter one and chapter two which david is also on lostsymphony.com but that pearl jam oh, i gotta get mine did not get a record deal to the third record and it ten was a, it was a handshake deal up till then ten, ten is considered by many to be one of the best um, entry discs ever and where most people have like the sophomore flop, the sophomore fucking Slump. bullshit, the, the bullshit album, you know what I mean? The, the Guns N' Roses lies, you know what I mean? Like Oof. you have, you have verses, which to me is like if 10 grew a little bit more balls and said, mm -hmm. hey man, we're a fucking rock band and we're going to fucking throw down fisticuffs and get ready to go like Seattle style. And I was into it, man. I was fucking into it. And, and, and for me to be able to speak to you years later after being a guy that like literally, like Corey talked about it on previous podcasts, sat by the radio going to just to get the song. That's cool. Just to get the song. The first tape I ever bootlegged was, <laughs> was Versus by Pearl Jam. And my dad got so mad at me, he made me go out and buy it. He actually docked Ten dollars for my piggy bank and made me go to Record Town <laughs> and buy it because he's like you don't because he was a software engineer. He's like you don't copy copywritten shit. He's like you go and pay that band. So just so you know, my dad took away my allowance to pay you, David. Well, no, he took away your allowance to teach you a lesson, young man, and to pay it. But you can frame it whatever way you'd like. Tell me where I'm wrong. Well, because uh, what did we get? Eighty-one cents a record, five hundred thousand in debt. Oh yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh oh. <laughs> oh I think no, we, I we think, lost Corey. We lost again. Corey. You got twenty twenty, but that's fine. Aww. That's fine. So, David, I, listen. I want you to also. Uh, I, 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 we want to talk about. So, what's some of the funniest stuff? Because Siobhan has told us because she's in another band, much like Pearl Jam, much like Guns N' Roses, that band wow. that people care about. Um, <laughs> 
What were some of the most interesting things you saw on tour? I don't mean like some girl's boob came out and you drank, you know, oh. champagne off of it. I mean, like, uh, there was a cow walking around in the middle of the streets in Amsterdam, and then Eddie tried teaching it to yo-yo. Um, man, there's so much stuff. We can start uh, with whatever you'd like. Mike and I decided to hang out in Rotterdam, and then on our day off, go to Amsterdam a day early. Um, and we had done an interview with these two... Um, collegiate girls for a fanzine and they said that they had squatted a really cool house and we could crash there blah 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 okay cool so it's two in the morning we just played a huge gig and uh we're walking down the street and we stop and they start yelling up at this window and the light comes on four stories up and they're like, hooten, gruten, hooten, hooten. And the dude's like, hooten, gruten, hooten. And then all of a sudden, the <laughs> mattress fucking sails out the window. <laughs> and then there's some more hooten, gruten, and hooten, hooten, gruten. And then here comes some pillows and some sheets. So here's Mike and I just played the Enormo Dome and all that. And we're carrying a mattress through the streets of Rotterdam at 2.30 in the morning. and I said, man, I'm hungry. Let's, let's get something to eat. And Mike says, what, let's first put this mattress down and then we'll get something to eat. And then he stopped and he looked at me really and his head tilted. And he said, wow, I don't think those words have ever come out of my mouth in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I like that story. That was funny. But, so, well, well, how did it end though? Where, where did you end up? Where did the mattress end up? On the floor in this really amazing old house. Oh, cool. Okay. And, and uh, I remember the last thing that Mike said after the light, we turned out the light was, I can't believe I'm sleeping with the Arcus. <laughs> that was my nickname at the time. Have you ever, have you ever, had, a case, have you ever had a case of, of mistaken identity? Because I'll tell you, um, I had a, mix, a, a case of mistaken identity in 1995. I went over to Israel. Now, anyone that goes to the Western Wall knows that it's segregated. You have women on one side and you have men on the other side. And you have the Sahal, which is the Israeli um, army uh, with AR-15s, whatever the fuck they carry. But like big guns that like, you know, are, are scary. And women are not allowed on the men's side. If you go on that side, the Sahal will forcefully remove you. Now, in 1995, when I was listening to Pearl Jam, I had long hair, and I know it's hard to believe, but under all of this scruff is a Backstreet Boy. <laughs> now, when I went to the men's side of the Western Wall, they call it the Wailing Wall from some, mm -hmm. um, it's a, a, holy, you know, a holy place in this world, mm -hmm. um, I had a bunch of army dudes um, from the Sahal come with guns and pretty much like, act like I was a terrorist until my father basically started screaming, he's a boy. He's wow. a boy. Much like Tommy, where they go, it's a boy. It's, but it was the Sahal with AR-15s at the Wailing Wall, so I could put the little note in that says, please stop confusing me for a girl, because you're supposed to put a prayer inside. And that was my only hope, and it, it didn't work. Wow. It's true. <laughs> any, mis any mistaken identity stories, David? Uh, I think Grace Slick 
one time jumped in front of me while I was walking down the aisle at an award show at uh, American Music Awards. And she gave, she jumped in front of me, grabbed my ears and just went, mm. and then she said, thank you for saving rock and roll. And I said, you're welcome. She introduced me to her daughter. And then they sat down and I walked away thinking, I think she thought I was Eddie. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. I was going to be like, Neil Young has never looked any better. <laughs> and there's another one where in Cream Magazine, uh, there was a real, you know, let's sand on the buns kind of photographer that did a uh, this photo shoot thing. Um, we were in San Francisco and uh, I think they thought I was Eddie because the it's <laughs> like the sappiest, uh, embarrassing. They huh. had these, they, they had the photos on the, you know, is it hard to be known as the other guy from the famous band? Like, how long do you think it took before the edge got over? Or maybe, do you think Adam Clayton from U2 still gets, like, like you know, or, or uh, whatever the other guy is from U2 ever gets, you know, known as the other guy from the band instead of Bono or the edge? I don't think he gives a shit. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're so rich, they could probably just go in whatever Irish rubles they have or whatever. Well, I was stunned when see international money. Like there was a period of time where Adam uh, would would not show up at the stadium, and the tech would put on the stance and play the show. Are you serious? Wow! Why? Wow! How do you know this? Were you at these shows? Well, did you no, play we, with you we did some shows together. We did, of course, together. Pearl Jam. You too. That would have been a huge. So what? What we, time frame we was did. this? That was in. Uh, 92 in uh, Italy. And, and what, what were the U2 fans uh, receptive to the, to the Pearl Jam music? Um, Did the kids like, like the Beatles? You know what I mean? Like, no. when you want the monkeys, the people, are you the okay with the Beatles? Were, uh, they appreciated it, but they came and they, I mean, okay, imagine, uh, picture, you know, 100,000 soccer stadium, you know, oval shape. You know, cheapest tickets, 300 bucks mm -hmm. on the far end. You know what I mean? And, and even, you know, it's like I learned a lot at those shows because, you know, one, when I found out that was the cheapest ticket price, you know, we were all about that $10 thing and everything. Um, Is this the Ticketmaster ordeal? When we got out on the stage, you know, we had to move the side fills in 65 feet. That's how huge the stage was. What, yeah. Just so, Jesus. You know, I had cars hanging above my head. It was like that kind of a thing. But when they <laughs> took the stage, their entire show, it, it, I mean, I understood what the difference was between us, you know, Pearl Jam was a band that played live and U2 was a band that performed a show, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had X's on the stage, so they would be standing in the right spot when that scene was well, set. Well, I mean, in we the never, defense of James Hetfield, do you don't want to burn off your arm if you're not standing in the right place when the fire goes. <laughs> well, yeah, even, even I mean, that, Eddie, Eddie might mean, want that to happen to you because, I mean, we know that he hates drugs. Back then, I mean, we didn't, we never, um, you know, we did washes. We never had, a, we never wanted or had a light show or any, you know, the whole time I was in the band, we did none of that shit, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, we just, we were a band. I mean, we wore the same clothes, uh, you know, the same clothes I got on the bus that morning wearing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were wearing the same clothes like that you were wearing then right now. 
I was going to say to you, they look good. Did you wash them? <laughs> oh, you're funny. <laughs> you don't have to be nice. There was a tour that Eddie stopped washing his clothes. Was it in defiance of anything, or was it just to, like, upset all of you? No, we were all going through a lot, you know. We were in the biggest band in the world. We were paying ourselves 400 bucks a month. What? <laughs> what? Can you, can you elaborate yeah. on that? How does that happen? How, wait, wait a minute. So, so um, the people, like, so you didn't go to, like, right to Jay-Z money spending the cheese. You're the biggest band mm -hmm. in the world, killing it with, with, with verses. And you're no, well, I remember when Versus came out um, that night, we were at our manager's house and the album uh, came out at midnight and he started getting calls. And at one point he looked at me and Mike and he said, wow, you guys are making 72 bucks a minute. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, it blew our minds that, you know. That, I mean, and he, I mean, seventy-two dollars a minute is a lot now. But like, let's just put that in like, that Kanye terms. That's like that's well, like seven hundred fifty dollars a minute. Within records that barely it hadn't really it wasn't the time where records if you didn't sell three or four million you weren't even legitimate. I mean, you know, it, it was it was just beginning that these huge numbers were coming in. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was it was still kind of rare to sell two million albums, three million albums. Mm -hmm. Much less to, you know, sell a million in a week was crazy. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, we paid ourselves. Uh, I mean, we were on the road, period. So we didn't really need money. So we just paid ourselves 400 bucks a month. Paid back the record label so we could then disappear and make our album and call them uh, the day, <laughs> call them right before we left the studio and say, hey, we got our record. <laughs> come here. which is what we did it was amazing all these you know what a different really, time we were living in really before, disarmed before. record moguls showing up at the site crowding on a couch to hear that their biggest you know their their hope for the future well you yeah, certainly well, didn't, didn't let the, you didn't let them down like setting the well, world record for being the fastest yeah. selling record and not going to the sophomore slump where, you know, you could have done the Candlebox thing. Let's throw out Candlebox. I love that first record. But I thought that that second record was kind of dog shit. And, you know, I, I listened to it again, and I still maintain it still kind of sounds like dog shit. And the first record sounds fucking awesome. Um, Pearl Jam, 10, um, sounds, obviously, people love it. Like, don't need to sell it to anybody. Versus is as, it's kind of like Pantera, you know, for me. Because I'm a metalhead. Cowboy from hell. Don't forget. Yes. That 10 record, Tim Palmer, Now and Zen, all that Robert Plant oh, stuff. So much. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But it's like, you know, 10 is your Cowboys from Hell, whereas Versus is your vulgar display of power. You know what I mean? <laughs> and for me, a lot of people understand that Cowboys from Hell is superior in some ways because it became before vulgar. But anyone that's really a true Pantera fan, instead of Pearl Jam, will just interchange them, um, knows that really the best one was vulgar. So uh, that's that for me versus I think that first week's um, sales setting the world record tells you mm -hmm. not only did people give a fuck about what you did on tour, sir, mm -hmm. but that that second record spoke for itself, which to me it did. I mean, from the yeah. very beginning to the very end, if you listen to verses, unlike Vitology, apparently, which we heard from you on our previous podcast, 
If you haven't heard it, go back and fucking catch the fuck up. Um, versus um, is a is a record that has a side A, has a side B, and it feels like a record from start to finish. You listen to it with headphones on, and you just get lost in it. And it's yeah. pretty fucking incredible, dude, how you guys did that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because it actually almost follows the line in which we recorded the songs, too. Like, we got to the studio with all this energy. The first thing we did was go and, and so on and so on and so on. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, we went in and made a record for sure. We didn't just go record a bunch of songs. I mean, think about go. Just name for a song. Like, that. Just does, yeah. it, does it say anything? Like, just fucking go, Dave. <laughs> Not why go, just go. Trevon's <laughs> like, what do you mean? I didn't follow Green Day. Stop. No, I mean, I, obviously. Like, I only know Stravinsky and No, Brahms. that's not true. No, but I mean, I definitely pale in comparison to your level of knowledge with a lot of this. Yeah, because while you were learning, no, no, while, while you were learning Beethoven and J.S. Bach, like the real, the real music, I was tripping on acid. You know what I mean? Like fucking coming down, listening to verses and going, maybe the world isn't as crazy as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Boy, that, that illusion got squashed that two years Pearl Jam took off, didn't it? Oh, man, right? Corey, what do you Ooh, think? Um, I just hope that I'm actually on this call at the moment. It's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, welcome. You got 2020 again, Xfinity. Yes, Xfinity. First off, not only are you not a sponsor, you're, you're fucking taking yes. away. Down with Xfinity. I know. You either add value or you take away. And you're yes. not adding any value, Xfinity. You're <laughs> taking away from our fucking podcast. You fuck. Yeah, no, I, um, I, this is all fascinating. Like, it's, it's great to hear uh, some of the, you know, perspective from behind the scenes. And it's funny, like, you know, I know Siobhan doesn't have the familiarity with Pearl Jam that Ben has. And I'm kind of in between because I got uh, honestly turned off from how in my face all the radio songs from Pearl Jam were uh, around that time. And especially um, a lot of cover bands and friends and bands would cover Pearl Jam horribly. <laughs> Like, like trying to emulate, <laughs> try to emulate the power and like the feel in those songs, you know, and you get like 16, 17 year olds just hacking through these chords. So I, I feel like I, uh, I definitely, uh, I had a little bit of a Does anyone prejudice. actually know the lyrics to even flow? Yeah. A lot of vowels. I think there's. An <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually you, had, by the way, you guys could totally license that to like one of those, um, Tampax commercials, you know? Even flow. Yeah, yeah, uh, shut up. You think Eddie would do it? <laughs> you, think, you, know, you think Eddie would do it? it He's got to believe it. I don't know. It it's baby stuff. It's not... Did you say tampons? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's baby stuff, man. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Tampons. Uh, no, I don't think he would. So Siobhan, you don't know anything about David. Like, why don't you be a third-party omniscient versus I've been the obnoxious fan asking about like really deep stuff. But for our, our listeners that go, hey man, I don't know the difference between Post Malone and Drake. Why don't we talk to David like that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, from my perspective, what interests me is coming from someone who plays like pre-composed music most of the time. I'm, I'm totally interested in the writing process, which I know we've talked a lot about. And also just like the relationships and the dynamic of, you know, working with people in a band, because I think they're, especially as time has gone on and things have become a lot more 
like less jam oriented, you know, people go in and they record parts one at a time, or you're doing it, you know, booking studio time, recording to a click, you're on a grid, everything's so different. And I feel like some of these stories of your interactions with the different band members is, is totally interesting. And it, just the trajectory of how it was from start to finish. And I know we talked a lot about, you know, getting involved in these projects and what went on while you were in it. But I'm almost interested on what happened on the way out, you know, as as things ended with Pearl Jam or with Guns N' Roses. Like, Fantastic. Hold on. I'm going to just lean over this way while, while Benny talks for a second. <laughs> okay. uh, oh. Benny, Benny, you know, do you know about uh, the smoking weed off camera? Yeah, I know all about it. You know the <laughs> international motherfuckers? You know that group? What? No, I don't no, know. No, but I feel like I should be part of it. I'm so surprised you don't. The IMFs, it's, uh, Tia, it was, you know, there are a couple incarnations. Um, TM Stevens on bass, uh, Stevie Salas from uh, Mick Jagger and, and Rod Stewart's big, incredible guitar player and his band yeah. Color Code on guitar and Bernard Fowler from Stone singing and me on drums and we'd just go to Germany and play each other's songs for six weeks. That's sick. That's awesome. Hey, by the way, oh, so oh. Uh, listen, uh, you know, I know you're in an undisclosed location, but I'm going to go on our show and say this at one. I'm very excited that we're working on music this year and that I hope that we can continue to work on music. Um, a lot of original tunes and that yeah. um, I want to tell you. So one of the things I'm excited about uh, with David is that there's very few people like Paul is a soul brother of mine. Siobhan and Corey are both like musical soul people of mine in the sense that we complete each other's musical sentences. But David has from the beginning when I had my band Benny and the Jets, which was a joke, but like whatever, he's played on stuff and he's encouraged my voice and he's really enjoyed my writing. And I got to tell you that, um, you know, one of the great things that I really enjoy about you is that you're such a positive person and that you believe in people and that at every step of the way with Lost Symphony um, and then every step of the way we're, with the other stuff that we've done, we did a cover of um, Here, uh, Here Comes the Rain Again and a, a bunch of other stuff. He's just been so positive and you're always just so excited to be a part of it, dude. Like you live music, whereas we've worked with a lot of people in the music industry and let's just say they're um, not as forthcoming as you are. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, I, I'm blessed by knowing you because, you know, I'm not always that way. I've definitely, you know, I've seen how far that cassette would fly behind my car while, you know, listening to someone's demo. I've, flung many a CD out the car window. Um, oh, I have a story. I don't know if I can remember it, but it fully and, and proper enough of that you would love. But um, there's a point to music and it's really important to me that, you know, when, and when, it, when I feel something from it, I don't even know how to describe it, that it's just important. That's all. It's important to see it through. It, it's not about, you know, sometimes it's about sharing it with people because of, of, of the feeling it, it gives me, but it's just important. That's all. And, uh, you know, ever since you reached out and we first started our, our musical dialogue, it's, I've always felt there's that sense of importance to your stuff. And, and it's also, you know, when I sit down and just play what I feel belongs and, and it is, you know, doing this remote recording stuff and it works, it's because it's, I don't know. It, 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 it's because I felt it the right way, you know? And mm -hmm. so, um, but yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely a cynical asshole when it comes to uh, annoying things called 
Well, yeah. that's that's really that's really like, honestly that's a really humbling comment uh, a compliment because you know I always say that like I can't change my own oil but like I do pride myself in my musical abilities and but it's it's really nice because I I mean I say it all the time but one of the first people um, was Bumblefoot he wrote to me like this music is beautiful and you um, were immediately receptive to me um, you know and on my birthday like even reached out and said happy birthday to me. And, um, you know, we got you on this song and I remember telling Corey, he's not going to send us anything because you kept saying <laughs> that, like you had different things happen. Like you're on your motor scooter. Like, where's your motor school scooter? And they're like, yeah, there was, um, there was an outage of, of, of the internet where I am. Like, where's that? You have the <laughs> after take. And like, you're like, I can't tell you, but like every single time you're like, I'm building a new drum room. And then, like, or oh, the the natives, you know, are after me. Like, it's like oh, they're after me. They're after me. I don't know how they found me, but they're after me. Like, I don't know. But every single time you say you're gonna do something, even if it's months later, you you've always come through. And you know, there's a lot of people that I've reached out to. Um, you know that they're like talk to my manager. You know, we'll see, kid. Blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, yeah, man. If I vibe with this, cool. And then like you sent us tracks. And you've also always been there in the sense that we immediately talked, we vibed on a personal level. Um, yeah. And you even played on, like, again, my personal stuff that will probably see the light of day, I guess, on a solo record or something. But um, it's just so good. And I, I'm so humbled because even people that seen that I've like done stuff with you on Facebook, they're just like, how did you get, how did you get that guy? How did you get David from from Pearl Jam, and I'm just like I I have no idea why he has any interest in me whatsoever. I am completely <laughs> dumbfounded why he wastes his time wherever he is yeah. in the world. You know, like no. doing his shit. No, man, you 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 know, inspiration comes in many forms. <laughs> <laughs> As we've learned <laughs> live in real time. <laughs> Okay, you want a story? I can give you a little story. Let's hear it. Oh, all right. And this, you know, this is uh, this is the after Pearl Jam kind of. You know, I really didn't know musically. I, you know, I was I was I, it really messed me up, and um, you know, I ended up forming this project with people that inspired me when I was a kid growing up, and uh, and we made a couple records, and and that's a whole other ball of wax of how a big machine can crush a little machine when they need to, but uh, really proud of those records. And then, you know, I had this studio cooking for a while and a good friend of mine in his, <laughs> in his band, you know, I said, you know, don't you, the whole thing was about allowing people to be in a world-class situation to document that time in their life where they, where this was important to them. Because, you know, that's pretty much all, all it is. If you don't, I mean, you got to change your mind sometimes and, and start living a real life. But um, <laughs> I get this demo and I listen to it. I'm like blown the fuck away. It's just like, I, there was not one bad song in the, the sound. I mean, it was like, if this was a record, I would love this record. It would influence me. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Every part of it, the drumming, you know, a friend of mine was drumming in the band and, it was a cassette that was dropped off uh, my the door of my studio. Okay, so I went in and side A, put it in, listen, blew my mind. So I took them all to dinner and I was like, you guys should come in and 
you know, I don't know what I can do. It sounds great. There's, there's really no production angle, but you can come in and record your record. I'd love to do it. And they were really blown away because I was talking about the production and they were looking at me like, what the fuck? And I told my friend Perry, his drumming was exceptional. He'd grown so much in such a short time. And he's looking at me like, huh? And <laughs> so we scheduled the time and everything and everyone was excited. And I let everyone pick out whatever they wanted to use in my gear or whatever. And we set up in the big room, big, beautiful drum set for Perry and got spent all day getting sounds. They were incredible. And I was really excited. And so I said, well, what song do you think you guys want to start with? It was just me and my friend, their drummer, Perry. And he said, uh, I don't know. I said, well, how about just the first one? So I rewound the cassette and I hit play and I cranked up my monitors and sat and listened to the song. When it was over, I noticed my friend was, he just looked different. <laughs> and he said, who was that? Oh, no. <laughs> And I said, I know, right? That's what I said. This blew my mind. And I said, let's listen to it again. <laughs> so it's really loud. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm preparing to record what I think is going to just be, you know, I'm just going to be lucky to be a part of documenting this music. And I look over halfway and, and his lips quivering a little bit. <laughs> ah, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Their demo was on side B. What I was listening to is Cheap Trick's first record. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. I, mean, I never even knew that record was so great. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Is Surrender on the first one? No. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. That, oh, oh, my no, gosh. Man. That's so oh, funny. It's a great, great record, though. But that's wow. hilarious, dude, that you yeah. fucking, oh, my God. Poor then man. I turned. I then I had to do the. Oh, I was just messing with you, and I turned right. the cassette over and hit rewind. It was just a side test. B, side B, and it was the worst dribble you ever heard. Oh no, God. Oh yeah. I mean, well, you know, what? I got to take that back because this is a podcast. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, was wow. it? I was exaggerating. It wasn't it, in that situation. It was the exact opposite of what I was hoping it would. Be. Yeah, relatively yeah. speaking, to cheap trick, it wasn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it wasn't bad, but it, it just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, exactly. well, yeah, yeah, relatively speaking, a cheap trick is just you, so different. I, you should go I, listen to it and see it for yourself. Don't edit out the dribble. It's okay. <laughs> there's a lot of dribbles. It was, it, it was pretty bad. I usually really, usually when I'm talking. That's yeah, there's my a lot of dribble in our, in our prior episodes from Ben's oh. mouth, so. <laughs> <laughs> my, my mother told me that, that I was really good at polishing turds. Hold on, turds. so let, let me, so, look, so speaking of polishing turds, when did you realize that you you that Eddie Vedder hates drummers? Um, the the moment that that I hit that symbol on the uh instead of on the one uh. when he was coming down to hit it with me, and I got really fed up with it, so I hit it on the uh, and he ended up with like I don't know seventeen stitches. <gasps> Ooh. So you was that a passive aggressive? Really that was sly. <laughs> <laughs> wait, so wait, hold on a second. So what inspired that you said you were fed up with it? So what did Eddie do to inspire you to give him 17 stitches instead of just, you know, going with the beat? He had a way of inspiring me to beat the shit out of my drums. Hmm. You know, again, I respected him a lot, but I, you know, it's like. He was kind of like the Joe Jackson to your Michael Jackson no, drum kit. He, just, he created a lot of, of like 
turmoil, I guess. But it was an energetic within me, just our personalities. So it's like that told story. Um, every country needs a little war. Well, rock and roll, man. You got to have some emotion. Or yeah. You end up with Pearl Jam. Well, do you think it was intentional or was it just na- like naturally how your personalities rubbed? I think it inevitable. was, I, I think it was the level at which we had taken the power of the music of those songs. So it, it had to take his, you know, he had to sing the songs from 10 so much uh, stronger than mm-hmm. he would have had he had um, a, a different Pearl Jam behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, now when he sings, he does it like this. Da, 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 da. And he couldn't, he couldn't, he would have looked like an idiot. Are you saying that he doesn't have the same angst now that he has a black card as he did when he wrote black? I don't know. I, I, know. I know. I've seen him. He seems a lot more mellow. He drinks a lot of, uh, a lot of vino. You know what I mean? It, stay, uh, it doesn't sound as angry. I mean, he sounds angry, but not like angry, like like the angry that I remember. Subdued. Subdued. Well, who wants to watch a middle-aged guy yell at him? Well, I mean, but how, how long can you be angry? That's why I like Billy Joel. He's like, thanks for, like, you know, realizing I stopped caring about writing music for you in 1993, and I'm just going to keep playing these songs. Whereas, like, people, like, go, like, I want to take you seriously. You know what I mean? Like, he's not that angry yeah. anymore. But he was angry at one point, and when you were in that band, I remember – Thinking to myself, much like Jim Morrison. So my buddy, John Garabedi, and I'm not going to like kill his Jim Morrison story, but I'll tell you the story. Because I play this game. Um, you remember the open house party with John Garabedi? You probably don't because it's pop music. But he used to have a, a great radio program. And I used to try to stump him going, I'll name a rock star, Jimi Hendrix. You know, the, uh, the, and he'll have a story. So I said, Jim Morrison. And he goes, oh, I, I was the MC at the, at the, the Boston Garden. I remember seeing him, I don't know, it's 69 or whatever, or 68. And he says that Jim Morrison got so wasted on the second night that like he passed out on the ride, like on, on like one of the um, speakers stands and that the band kept playing and that like eight minutes into it, like he gets back up and like the whole place cheers. You know what I mean? And I remember thinking to myself with Eddie Vedder back in the day that he had that thing about him that Jim Morrison did that that Maynard James Keenan tries to do by not moving for like two hour sets where you go, Oh my God, what's that he going to do? Is he going to write something on his arm? Like, is he going to say something? Is he going to do something? Is he not going to do something? Is he going to have, like, I used to wonder what the banter was going to be after the song. He was like Howard Stern where you wanted to know what he was going to do next. But you know, I mean, do you really think that Hendrix didn't know what he was doing? Or that Jim Morrison didn't know what he was doing. Oh, I know Jim Morrison didn't know what he was doing, dude. <laughs> I, I've taken that amount of acid. And I, there's no way, I mean, unless you've, like, you know, taken peyote every fucking weekend. There's no way you know what you're doing. The fact that Santana could even play a set at Woodstock is mind-boggling. Just shows you how fucking weak that shit was back then. Well, oh, no I'm, <laughs> no, I'm just speaking in terms of the awareness of... I mean, you know where the cameras are going to be when you're when when what you're going after needs cameras. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they it wasn't by chance. It's just like the Beatles, you know, arriving at Shea Stadium. Mm-hmm. The people there were filmed days before the plane arrived. I mean, it's it's the entertainment industry, and it's it's a bunch of bullshit. 
you know? I mean, Zeppelin weren't occultists. They were fucking goddamn bunch of dudes with fucked up teeth who made great music. You know, <laughs> and then Peter Grant said, shaved yeah. his eyebrows and then that's, that's what he took from it was Satan fucked up became their, their sales point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. show business, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you know, Aleister Crowley took a dump behind a shed on supposedly on Jimi Hendrix's property. Really? Or I mean on Jimmy Page's property, you know. Jimmy Page just seems like a nice old dude now, doesn't he? Not so much the occultist guy that he was when he was <laughs> Well listen, I remember that they tried saying that um the weird noise at the end of Crazy Train where he goes, an egg was like him trying to say like shoot, 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 and like they were trying to frame that like Slayer and Ozzy Osbourne like were systematic ways to help people commit suicide, like suicide solution wasn't about Bond Scott, um, you know what I mean, drinking himself to death. And it's fucking crazy how, like, you know, people nowadays have such, they explain how to make bombs online. They explain how to, you know, on, yeah. on TV shows, how you can break into the Bank of Spain. Like, I feel like I could, I could murder my girlfriend with succidylcholine and no one would know unless they test for it because Law & Order SVU said the toxicologist, unless they look for it, they won't even know. That got dark. David, yeah. David probably can, uh, can uh, empathize. Yeah. The overall yeah. point being that I think the people have always tried to find a, a, a scapegoat for like issues. And then sometimes I think maybe bands and their management and PR people might lean into that to create a, a, well, a false when they could. narrative. Like when, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. when they could, you know, now information and news and all these things happen so fast that there's really no time you know, I mean, we used to seek out those monthly magazines to read about, you know, the, and, and the right. stories were being, you know, the last thing that, that existed in that, that had that frame of mind was the National Enquirer, that the, mm -hmm. the PR people would, I mean, you know, it was Michael Jackson's publicity wing, and it was Elizabeth Taylor's publicity wing that put those stories about the monkey and all that bullshit in those things to keep these people relevant, you know, mm -hmm. it's... It, it's again. It's um. It, it's a bunch of people with good marketing brains, marketing product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of marketing cool. product, we're in a band called Lost Symphony, which is why we're um on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> David was nice enough to play on a song called "The Garden of Earthly Delights," which is actually going to be on Chapter Two. Um, David, um, do you have any opinion on the band? Um, you know, obviously now that we're all watching you and on the podcast, we have you know. We, we want your honest opinion, <laughs> including on the drums, because we'll let, we'll let Paul watch it and he can be like. <laughs> um, my, oh, well, you know, my opinions are personal. I haven't looked at the, the project as a, a product. Um, we don't want but, you to. Oh yeah. Well, man, it, it's, I think it's, it's, I'm impressed with it, it from, uh, production engineering be, pulling it to pulling it together pulling it off um, orchestrating both the music and just the, the project itself um, it's a, a project that is wor was worth the effort you put into it for sure thank that, you, and that, you know, thank you it, and it's and, and it, it we're gonna use that for our quote for no, our quote no it was no, worth it <laughs> I haven't experienced any part of it that seemed frivolous. 
He's like, I, I listen to the first. I'm listening seven to people I, work hard and achieve something every, and you know, in every part of it. Oh, thank you, man. It's awesome. Thank You're you. Welcome. And, I mean, and it's, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I mean, it's it's rare these days that people see through something, you know, to to a completion that that's actually you know allowed to be bigger than they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You that's- know. That's huge. And uh, kind of speaking of these days, what are what are you up to? Like, what's what's in in your world? Well, there's Wayne (laughs) in Gotham over there. I don't even. I I think I need somebody to organize my shit. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all do. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, um, uh, Lots of stuff. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, from a new thing, I'm doing an animated voiceover for a cartoon should be interesting that's what, awesome uh, what cartoon fundamentally <laughs> cynical what channel a, is that going to be on a, it's a, he's a young guy who came up with it it's uh something that amazon prime has gotten behind wow, wow. but it, it's it's out cool. really Wham. yeah yeah is, it, is this yeah. your first time doing voiceover work um well, I used to do a lot of Foley stuff, so I, you know, nice. I said things like "Call me Daddy," you know. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Daddy. That's great. But, no, I, you know, I was a uh, a kitty cat. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I <laughs> so no. Do you make a for, kitty cat? So, what, what, what's the kitty cat sound? <laughs> I want the David kitty cat sound. <clears throat> <laughs> Really? <laughs> We're waiting. <laughs> I love cats, man. You really no. want that? He's, I love a, he's, cats. A, he's a cat man. He's I want to hear it. I want. I'm gonna close my eyes to see if it's real. Get a- <laughs> huh? Wait, I'm just seeing how long you're gonna wait. <laughs> we'll have to tune in for the kitty cat. <clears throat> we'll have to save that for episode three. <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't a very good kitty cat. <laughs> But that's that's um so that's a show that's out now on on Amazon Prime or is it coming out on Amazon Prime? Uh, it's out. It's out now. He's, I think it's his second season. And I'm, okay. I'm gonna be I'm, I'm gonna be a newscaster. Nice. To check yeah. it out. Oh well, so, it, I mean, <laughs> you should check it out anyway. He's a creative. He's a young dude from Connecticut. I, I mean, I think it, I don't know if it's part of his bio and I, and, and it's but it strikes me because he's still. I think he's still in high school. Wow. So what was yeah. the name of that? What was the name of it one more time? Fundamentally cynical. Huh. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I've caught I, I've watched a little. It, it's yeah. it's pretty whack. <laughs> That's great. Uh <laughs> do you have any 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 musical projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, uh, I'm uh, actually a lot. Um just working on a lot of music and I was working uh, I was doing a record for myself, uh, you know, a me record. And I got in touch with uh, Sean Smith who sang with Stone's uh, Brad Project and Satchel and some of, you know, he's a Seattle guy. And I've just always, always liked him and liked his voice. And he had done some work with Michael Shreve and some other people and he, he just, he, from what I understood, he was like me. If a song was happening, he would just see it through. It didn't matter, you know. No, just it just had to come out. So uh, I got in touch with him, and and we started sending music back and forth. And 
and, and it was just, you know, it, it was amazing. It was an amazing friendship. And uh, he came out to where I live and we spent some time messing with his Jesus came up with some, I mean, we just, you know, where we were coming from and he, he was a very, uh, you know, he, we understood each other emotionally. We, we were connected in a, in a pretty profound way. And so the things that were coming out, I mean, he was representing both of us and, and in the scats and, and the, the melodies and the feelings and, and, it was blowing my mind. And then uh, we took a little time. He was back in Seattle and he was headed back over and they he passed away in his sleep. So <gasps> oh, just like, oh, my oh God. fuck. Um, it was really tough. It was a, it was a tough one. And, and, and I just got a lot of music from him. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, but it's, it, it's, a record I have, you know, I have to finish it, but you know, yeah, of course, uh -huh. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you're, I mean, you're on the last song we recorded with Ollie period. <clears throat> the, the garden yeah. of birthday delights was the last song. Uh, we never even finished it with Ollie. We just did our first round or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that was it. So that song ended up, you know, turning into the guitar duel that it is because um, Ollie only did certain parts of it. And we really appreciated you being part of it. But like, you know, it, I think it is a really important thing when your friends pass to see their music to fruition. And yeah. uh, we appreciate your helping us bring Ollie's music to fruition because it's um, really, truly the last thing. And, and, and you know, um, same thing with um, Here Comes the Rain Again was yeah, one of the last things cool. we did, um, one of the last things we did in between sessions. So it's wow. really true, the last music. And, and, and I couldn't, you know, thank you enough. And I think with your friend, first off, cheers to the heavens. Um, and, you know, hopefully you can bring the music to life. And I certainly will help you if you need any help in any way. Oh, well, no, yeah. They're, you're, they're, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think... Like I, I think, keyboard, you, I think Don't talk to Actually, on. wait a second now. I do remember a video call with you where you were kind of a little wound up, maybe. Sounds no. Normal. No, Ben. No way. At the, you were at the piano, and there was a, a, a beautiful young lady casually sitting near you. And... I think you know. I got the feeling that she, you, that she was. You already were confident that she was impressed. Like so, you'd known her for a while or something. But I, I was showing you some Sean stuff, and you were like, "Oh yeah, it's a blah blah, and it's a blah blah, and a blah blah, and a blah blah," and you just did this beautiful grand version of his three finger chords. Yeah, no, it was cool, man. Because and, I remember it that like, it, it was incredibly uplifting. But at the same time, what was coming out of your mouth was. Well, you have to understand that, that, that like, so, so if you, no, understand, if you can understand four way coordination, where like one hand's doing something else and like maybe your right hand isn't like lining up with your, your, what, are you doing, ben? what right. is this? What I'm saying is, is that my mouth, when I'm speaking just, English, I say a lot of bullshit, yeah. but then I say a lot of really cool stuff with this. Like my hands are speaking French, but my mouth is speaking pig Latin. But do you, do you speak Greek as well? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, only with the record label. Hey, man, we need to promote the record. Can you give yeah. us money for 2020? <laughs> Go to lostiffany.com. Yeah. Well, yes. Laugh at his jokes, tickle his balls, and make him a sandwich. He's all yours. <laughs>
your guide to the music business, right? <laughs> no, that's brought to you by Dini Abrazee. No, it's a good so, relationship. <laughs> yeah. David, so we're, I think I think we'd love to hear that project, uh, I hope, someday, soon. Um, you will. And, it's actually, it's coming together really cool. There's so, so much music and so much other, just so much stuff. Right. Yeah, You're going to hear a powerful. lot of it because I'm going to be hitting you up to mix some drums because you, you made <laughs> any Any time, yeah. man, I would be I would be honored. Hey, listen, wow. man. I think I think we I speak for all of us that we'd all love to be a part of anything that you're doing, David. Yeah, and, anytime. Um, and, and and that like oh, we're just huge so we're much. huge fans of you. And I can tell you, even doing like my crappy Benny the Jet stuff, like you've just been always <laughs> such a super super uh, positive guy, and everything you've ever delivered to me has been gold. And um, we're excited about what you know the other song, and and I look forward to seeing what you dish up for us. Um, you know, do you have any advice for people who are like locked down on the 2020 pandemic as far as like what they could be doing to study and to get to be a drummer as good as you uh, with so much stuff that you don't even have enough time in the day? Well, if they're like me, they are dealing with it already with bong hits and bonum and this isn't nothing I say would matter. Bong but hits and if bonum. they're not, um, <laughs> what... <laughs> What I, what I I, mean, I would wish for people is that they could, you know, even if just use music to, to, to get some sanity back, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in your perspective, because it's way too easy to get your ass. You're just somebody just twist your ass right over your head. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, I walk around and like with the cell phone when it goes off and, you know, luckily, I, you know, I never played a show where people held their cell phones up. Realize yeah, that? Amazing. No, that's amazing. It, that people never were, you know, in, in the moment. Yeah. Never saw it. And, and, you know, um, you know, I saw lighters. That was really cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, like the phone, I've never been, you know, I'm still old school with it. It's not like I don't dive for it. So it puts a lot of people off. Because mm -hmm. like if I'm doing something and my phone rings, I'm doing something. Right. And my mm -hmm. phone's ring. It's kind of the old school thing. <laughs> um, but it, and now it's not like that. It seems like everyone's really upset, uptight, and impatient. And everything's, you know, if you call, if someone calls and you don't answer, then even though they were just calling to say, hey. Well, it's the pandemic. We know you're home, David. So if you don't pick yeah, up, then you're, you're, I'm not, you're hey, I'm not avoiding I'm talking to you. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, that thing happens where it just seems like everyone's so uh, uptight. So hopefully, you know, a lot of people around me here have started getting in music and looking at it in a different way with the time that they have. And, mm -hmm. um I don't know. I, for me, it's just <laughs> the way I was inspired. It was because music brought me into it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but I can't, that just happens. And hopefully it happens for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, hopefully yeah, use, use the time to suck and get better. There you go. Yes. That's, that's key advice. Yeah. Suck. No, suck that's great. Yeah. No, but and I mean, I, this it is, it is cool seeing so many courageous young people hacking an instrument up and, and soulfully presenting a horrible version of something because meaningful to them on mm -hmm. the internet, putting it out there, you know. But at the same time, you know, there, there's I, I, I enjoy seeing that there's that 
outlet and that kind of bravery. Um, but as I'm saying it, I, I always do wish they'd practice a little more. For me. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely, there's, there's elements. You have to have the feel and the inspiration. It has to be important to you, but you got to be able to, you have to have the language to express that. And that's where the practice and all that stuff comes in. Well, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to just, I guess, you know, it's, it's a way of living your life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you know it, it just, you trip and fall over your inspirations and, the way you react to them, knee jerk, it makes you a better person, musician, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. It's it's that's the universe, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people can wish to be something or want to, but you just you know, I don't know. Universe is a funny place. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and mean, this the, the young generation wants immediate gratification, which is I'm sure symptomatic of, you know, cell phones and immediate news and all that and you can be a star on TikTok doing something really stupid, but <laughs> yeah, but, it's, uh, I think it's a it's a great time no to really embrace the fact that things are a process, you know, and you have to be patient and if it's not mm-hmm. enough to love it and to want to get up and do it every day no matter how good you are, you know, it's you learn a lot from that. Absolutely. Well, here, just for the three of you to, to know, my daughter, Francesca, is the exact opposite of what you, what you, you know, that, that thought of how kids are. Mm-hmm. She's unbelievable. That's wonderful. It's amazing. I, I mean, it, 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 hope. She's, she, she brings hope to me, and I'm a very, you know, it, it's, yeah. Very valuable. That's great. You, you got you to raise them right. You got to combat this, this other mentality. Man, it, it's funny. My dad, all he said was, enjoy watching her become who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. You think Anne Marie Cronin said that? She said, just enjoy watching who you're becoming? Or do you think she was excited to help malleably change you, Siobhan, by like, you know, encouraging you by like hitting you with a ruler? No, she was telling like you that. My, fat or, no, my you know. mom is a very intense person, but she had an intense life. You know, she came here as an immigrant with like no money and she dealt with a lot of flack from people. Is that so why she, she always, wears like $8,000 million worth of diamonds every time I see her? I've never seen a girl no, I, more iced out other than like at the Tupac <laughs> opening. I mean, no, your mom she, has like such crazy jewelry. Like Anne Marie is a rock star. Like literally you think you're cool. You think you made Pearl Jam money. You didn't make Anne Marie Cronin money. Oh, she shows up. Oh and she's no, like, we just lost him. Yeah, we'll lose him, but whatever. Uh, David, we yeah. love you. He's awesome. But Anne Marie Cronin money, like <laughs> I, I went out one time with you guys to Legal Seafoods, and I could not believe how many diamonds she was casually wearing. And they all looked good. They're like all like you know, coal mine diamonds. We got you. We got you. <laughs> No, I think that, <laughs> yeah, you're back. No, I think yeah, this, I don't I don't remember what my point was somehow. No, no, but I was diamonds. trying to tell you, no, she didn't beat me with the ruler. No, my parents were always, I think they would be totally on board with that. See the person that I'm becoming. And I think that they just wanted me to value the right things, like wanting to learn for the purpose of learning, wanting to appreciate art for the purpose of art, you know, wanting to learn languages for the purpose of being able to learn from other people. You know, I think they just wanted me to be well-rounded and educated, but they expected if I was going to do something that I was serious. You know, because it's, play it's tennis? not easy. I do play tennis, but I'm not very good at it. Of no, course no, no. You do. But no, 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 but I'm not good at it. Honestly, I, I wasn't serious about it. I mean, I skipped out on tennis practice to go to music rehearsal and they were like, Well, you clearly don't care what's, about tennis. What's the name what's the name of that game that you play um on the on like the top of a ship where you use one of those things that you push the thing? 
Shuffleboard? No. This is probably a good time to, to wrap it up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because yeah. I missed, my, everything was cutting in and out. And it was oh, that's out. okay. We were saying how so awesome no, you I were. Missed, I missed everything that you were saying about your, uh, you know, I heard something about tennis. Oh, <laughs> ben, it was all Ben giving me a hard time making me feel fancy. No, <laughs> I fancy, say, like, she knows no. how to like joust, you know, it's like six languages, no, origami. I no, I don't. I speak French and like very bad Spanish. How many degrees do you have? <laughs> well, I have two bachelor's degrees and you then a master's well. degree. You said well. It already tells you more than me. <laughs> Degrees don't matter. You know what? I've learned more from people in life that haven't gone to school at all than I have from teachers in school. Says somebody and that's with three the honest degrees. to God truth. No, it's, well, it's true. I'll it's tell true. You now, I have an eighth grade education. But you're so wise. See, I wouldn't, it doesn't even matter to me what people, what yeah. degrees people have, you know, yeah. because most of what you learn and what makes you. So like what degree near the being. equator would you say you're, you are, David? <laughs> Um, it's Celsius and that kind of fucks me up. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. 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 Just making sure. We could be talking Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> well, the water does turn the other direction. All right. When I flush it. We're now, we're narrowing it down. We're, we're, we are, we are narrowing it down, but we do want to say on behalf of Lost Symphony that chapter two, uh, if, if, listen, if you like guitar, if you're one of those guys that goes, I want to hear what's the craziest technique. I want to hear the fastest thing. You can hear Siobhan shredded up on the violin. You can hear mm. Joey Concepcion, Rusty Cooley, who, as you know, in the, in the 90s, was playing four notes on a string, like uh, Matt LaPierre. It's just Kat Kelly, who's already in the band, obviously. Like, it is literally complete bananas. Whereas one of those things where, you know, when you watch Spinal Tap and they go, how do you make it one more? This is kind of our one more. Where it is, if you don't <laughs> like- up to 11 out of 10. Yeah, if you don't like guitars that are over the top and, and slightly self-indulgent, then you should go to the next track. But if you like crazy guitars and you like unbelievable groove and like a lot of, like there's a lot of development that went into this song. This song was a long-term composition. So I don't want to diminish it by saying it was a throwaway shred yeah, piece because it wasn't. Yeah, good for you. I, I was waiting for you to take a breath so I could tell you that, you know, actually what I heard was some incredibly, like, mind-boggling soloing, but uh, there's songs there, mm. you know? Mm. There's, there's, there's the, you're, when you put on headphones or, or sit in the right spot and you close your eyes and listen, you're actually... You know, there, there's a, a room around you. Um, you know, there, there's, there, yeah, there's, there's, a, a, there's songs. It's called the sound staging. Thank you, Corey Peza. <laughs> well, yeah, those notes though, they have to be the right ones. They do. They? Yeah, arrangement sure. is, and uh, composition is everything. Sure. Yeah. We talked yeah, you I, on I, dollar. You didn't every. leave me disappointed, or or too, you know. And I really get like it's not a Tony McAlpine record. <laughs> it's not an Ingve Malmsteen record. It's not like that. Yeah. So well, it's not neoclassical, is it? I don't, I, I don't know what that no, means. No, I, I didn't yeah, either. Ben has ulterior motives I have ulterior in asking motive. that question. <laughs> no, I always say because my man crush thinks that we were slightly neoclassical. I'm like, I really don't think we're neoclassical. And he goes, orchestra, blah, blah, blah. It's neoclassical. And I'm like, but I feel like Rising Force music has and Tony McAlpine. Are, are, are neoclassical 
and even a little bit of Uli John Roth is neoclassical, and we're like more of like, um, you know, cinematic, and we do have classical influences, but like, it's not neoclassical. We have just straight up real classical influences. I'm not influenced by Ingve. I'm influenced by Paganini. I like a good Panini too, but what's that got to do with anything? Yes. <laughs> the question is, can you eat 24 of them in one sitting? <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> not true though. You can eat 24 Paninis? Well, I mean, just like Paganini's 24th Caprice. You know what I mean? Oh, look, look, look at this. Paganini's Paninis. Ooh. Oh, wow. Is that, yeah. is, is that a, a 50s? Oh, no. It's a new one. My friend Bo designed it and, and built it. All the, all the drummers are like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Seriously, oh, it's crazy. It. <laughs> but it's going to be what it's, it's. I'm bringing it to the studio. Uh, I think I'm tracking day after tomorrow your stuff. So Nice. Whoa. Sweet. But I just want to say, first off, from the bottom of my heart, and, and everybody on the show, thank you so much, David, um, for coming down and, and to your own house, wherever you are, in whatever layer you're in, in whatever time zone. <laughs> And taking the time. Um, I know that it's late because you had to brew coffee to make it happen. So, like, we want to say thank you for <laughs> riding out the storm. Um, Corey's just gonna, gonna just gonna cool. leave. He basically said, "Yeah, look, look at that. Amazing. You're that out of amazing. palace. Amazing. That's the Pearl Jam money right there. That's those, the first those no, actually, money." Actually, uh, no, it's not. Wait, wait, I gotta find the right button so I can get back. Oh, there we go. Um, you know, there's so much else. We'll have to talk again because they're, they're, you'll have to do a show that. Yes, we will have to talk. We will have to talk how again. How you learn David. about how you learn about people? There's a lot, a lot of people that. Well, we, well listen. We want to talk. There's so many things that we do want to talk to you about, and um, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And first off, being so okay. candid and talking about those things, and I, I can't wait to hear the drum tracks you serve up. And, you know, I think I speak on behalf of all the listeners that we can't wait to have you on again. So, you know, just Absolutely. let me and Javon know. Answer our messages, Mr. Busy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and plus, you know, um, I, it is recorded. So uh, we'll be talking more because there's so much music. You know, Sean Smith and so I, everything music. we were doing had strings on it. So Awesome. Well, Amazing. Siobhan, well, listen, Love if you, if you want to get a hold of Siobhan, you can always call me. I am happy to play the intermediary. <laughs> <laughs> get in touch with me anytime i'm always here okay. all right well i love to all three of you thank you so much thank you so much, thank you you out so there much. In what a pleasure land, keep with the horde thank you david cheers see you next week thank you Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.